the Arrow. It's a superhero TV show. And uh, we're getting into that phase where, where young ladies in the house uh, start to think that certain young men and boys are, are cool. And so that's like, that's her list. She wants to meet this, anticipating it. Wouldn't it be awesome, Dad, if you took me to meet this person? Here, Paul is writing, and we see that Paul has never met the people in Rome. But he longs to meet them. He's eager to go there, to come. He even says, I've wanted to come on multiple times and I've been prevented. There is just this anticipation of, I want to get to Rome to meet you, to impart some sort of spiritual gift. Paul has a love for the churches and here is a church that was started and he has not visited yet. And you can imagine the needs that would go on in a church like this. And so Paul, serving the Lord, wants to serve this church by bringing a spiritual gift to them. This leads us to the question this morning that we want to answer in this service. How can I serve God in the gospel? Paul desires to get there and serve them with the gospel and in the gospel in the sense that he has been redeemed through the work of the Lord Jesus. And so he has a spiritual gift and he wants to impart that to them. He wants to serve them in the gospel, to build them up in the gospel for the benefit of the larger church and the salvation of the lost. And each one of us should ask ourselves this question, how Can I serve God in the gospel? Oftentimes as a pastor, I'll occasionally uh, get variations of this question. Something like, Pastor Tim, what can I do for the church or how can I serve? I remember when we were in Mount Pocono, there was a a dear, sweet old couple. They've uh, he's the husband has since gone on to be with the Lord. And I, I remember them asking me one time, Pastor, what can we really do? There's not much we can we can do. They could actually he actually had trouble walking. He'd have to park in the handicaps parking and walk with a walker. And when it was icy, it was a struggle. So, you know, they weren't going to get down and go to the children's church and get down and play with the kids and and do the, the ministry to the children because they themselves could barely uh, get up and move around. And yet they had a heart to serve the Lord. And they said, what can we really do, Pastor? Part of it, I just expressed it was a joy to see them come every week. It was an encouragement knowing all they had to go through to get there on Sundays, that they were faithful and regular. But each one of us should answer these questions. How can I serve God in the gospel? I'm going to give you three ways that this passage lays out for us that are really things that every Christian can do. So on the one hand, we all have different spiritual gifts. And we should use those gifts according to the will of God. Some of us might have the gift of teaching. And so we should seek to to use it as God has gifted us. Others of us might say, I can't talk in front of people, but I'm really good at serving behind the scenes. I'm really good at prepping food. I'm really good at changing little kids' diapers. I'm really good at fixing things. All of those things might be gifts from the Lord. But in this passage, in this passage, we're talking really about things that That it doesn't matter what your spiritual gift is. Each one of us can do these things and impart a gift to the church. So how can I serve God in the gospel? First, this morning, I can serve God in the gospel by praying for the church. 
Every Christian should be praying for the church. Pray for Faith Bible Fellowship Church of York. Pray for the larger church, the church around the world, as we see Paul doing. Paul thanks God for the church in Rome. Look at verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed throughout or in all the world. So Paul here uses a personal pronoun. I thank my God. This is a very real to him. This is a, a, a personal address. God is my God through the Lord Jesus Christ because of what Jesus Christ has done to save Paul. Paul says, I thank my God. Do you have that kind of personal address before God in your prayer life? You can only have that when you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. When you have received the forgiveness of sins by believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. I thank my God through Jesus Christ. There's also this idea that the means by which he prays is the Lord Jesus Christ. Scripture describes Jesus as an intercessor, as a mediator. He sits up in heaven at the right hand of the Father, and we are able to bring our prayers to God because Jesus Christ has paid for our sins, has cleansed us, and we come into the presence of God through Jesus. You can only know God through Jesus. You can only have a relationship with God through Jesus. You can only address God in prayer through Jesus. That our prayers are heard because the blood of Christ covers our sin. And Jesus always sits at the right hand of the Father to make intercession on our behalf. Notice how Paul is thankful for the church, for these Christians in Rome. And what does he say? Because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. You can imagine what this might have looked like as Paul is going around to the various churches, planting them, and people are traveling from the, around the Roman Empire. We know, for example, that Paul met Priscilla and Aquila, who had come from Rome. When the Emperor Claudius kicked out all of the, the Jewish people and this Priscilla and Aquila were Jewish uh, Christians, Jewish believers in Jesus, the Messiah. And so as they're going around and they're, they're saying, hey, have you guys heard about the church at Rome? Have you heard what God is doing to Rome? Have you heard they're prospering? Have you heard the gospel is at work there? And you can imagine Paul and some of the others hearing about this and saying, well, wow, we We've never sent missionaries there to Rome. And, and maybe someone say, yeah, you know, there were some people at Pentecost and they heard Peter preach the gospel. And when they went back to Rome, they took the gospel with them and they started a church. Well, that's amazing. Yeah. Have you heard how they're doing? Yeah, actually, I saw them a couple weeks ago. And so Paul is thanking God that. That people have noticed these believers and their faith is being reported in all the world. Now, there's a, a little bit of hyperbole there. No one in China had heard about the faith of the people in Rome. The gospel hadn't spread that far yet. But, but it's this idea of, of the whole known world. 
all the churches, everybody spread around has heard about the Roman church. We sometimes forget in a day and age where we have cars how difficult travel would have been in the ancient world. It takes me an hour to get to my grandmother's house up in Fleetwood. If we had to walk it, it would take probably a day and a half, maybe, maybe a day. Depends if we have to lug the kids with us, right? They, they walk slower. Uh, we can drive down to Washington, D.C. We can get to Florida in, in 12 hours, uh, something that if we were traveling just on horseback, it would take several days, let alone if we were walking. And yet in the ancient world, this is what it was like. You traveled and travel took time. It's fascinating to me when you when you read about certain battles, uh, for example, in the Civil War and armies are camped only like 20 miles apart. And you think, oh, my gosh, that's just from here to the other side of York. I can drive 20 miles in about 25 minutes. And you go, wow, it took them a whole day to move these armies into position. We we got to remember what it was like traveling. And so this is amazing that that this this news of their faith has has spread through the whole world. It's not like they could type out emails and say, guess what God is doing in the church at Rome? And Paul is thankful that the gospel at work and Paul is thankful, he says, for all of you people that he has not met. And he's thankful in a specific way so that Paul remembers the church in his prayers. Verse 9. For God is my witness in whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayer. So when when Paul says here, I serve in my spirit. So he says, for God is my witness. God whom I serve in my spirit, he's, he's probably talking something about how he serves God wholeheartedly or, or, or perhaps spirit being the inner self and this idea of I'm, I'm committed from the heart. The, I serve God with everything that I have, with my, my spirit. He says, I serve whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. And how do we serve God? We serve God through the work of Jesus Christ, sharing the gospel, teaching people the gospel, proclaiming that Jesus is Lord, building them up in it. All of Christian ministry at the end of the day is Christian ministry of the gospel, of encouraging people to believe in the Lord. Once people have believed, strengthening them in the Lord, discipling them, teaching them to do all that Jesus has commanded, it all flows from who Jesus is and the gospel through which we are saved. And so he says that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers. This is Paul's way of saying, I regularly, continuously, constantly am praying for you. Now, when Paul says without ceasing, we're not supposed to take this in a a, a super strict literalism. Uh, Paul was not superhuman. He had to get some sleep every night. And so without ceasing doesn't mean that every single minute of every day Paul did nothing but pray. But rather what it means is regularly throughout his prayer time, he he didn't just pray for the Romans one week and then like a month later say, oh, yeah, those Romans. He doesn't say, well, I'll wait till I hear something else and then I'll start praying for them again. He doesn't stop praying for them. He mentions them always in 
his prayers. Dear God, we thank you for that church in Rome. God bless them. God work in them. God cause the gospel to flourish there. Paul regularly and habitually prays for all the churches. You see this in many of his letters, the the introduction to his letters, how he prays for the churches, the specific things that he prays for, that God would strengthen them and build them up, that they would come to see the power of God in Christ, that God exercises when he sits the Son at the right hand of the Father. All of these things, Paul had a vibrant prayer life. He's also praying that he might be able to visit the church in Rome. So he says in verse 10 that he's uh, always not he's always in my prayers. Then he says, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Paul wants these people to know that that he desires to come and visit them. You can imagine how they might have responded getting a letter from Paul. Well, Paul, I've heard of him. He's an apostle. Why would he be writing us? Well, he, has to, he wants them to know, I, I care for you guys. I haven't been there yet, but, but I've wanted to. But it hasn't been God's will. But I want you to know I'm, I'm anxious to get there. You can imagine the kind of encouragement that would have been to a, a small fledgling church. Wow. The Apostle Paul is praying for me, praying for us. He, he wants to come here. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be awesome? Wow. And you can imagine hearing this letter for the first time as they open it up and they read it. And, and, and you're just thinking through, wow, I, I, I want to hear what Paul has to say because, wow, he really cares about me. This isn't just a ploy or a tactic on Paul's part, but you can imagine how it builds a a connection with his audience. Our first application this morning as we think about Paul and his praying for the church is that you and I need to be praying for the church. Be faithful to the church by praying for believers. I think I've shared this illustration before. Um, forgive me, I only have a limited number. I got to reuse it now. Just kidding. Um, but it's it's such a, a vivid one in my mind. Uh, there was a lady at the Mount Pocono Bible Fellowship Church who passed away a number of years ago. Uh, she passed away. She was in her late 80s, I think. I don't think she had quite hit 90. Her husband's now in in his 90s, uh, and he was he was still throwing baseballs into like his 70s. Just a, a really fun couple, and uh, she passed away. And when she passed away, um, they found in the house prayer journals that she had had that had gone back years, like I'm talking decades. And, and she would get up early in the morning, 4 a.m. or something like that, and come downstairs and pray. And Joe, her husband, when she passed away, was amazed by this because he never knew that she was such a faithful prayer. He knew she was up in the mornings. He would come down and breakfast would be ready and coffee would be there for him. But that's really all that he knew. She she prayed in secret. She never said to anybody, I'm, I, this is how much I pray. She prayed for her family. She prayed for her kids. She prayed for her grandkids. She prayed for people in the church. And there's these long records now of these journals of the way that she prayed and what she prayed for and what she said to the Lord. And, and she's just a faithful saint 
in the Lord. And, and there are going to be many faithful saints in the Lord like that. That, that we will get to heaven and, and the crown of glory that they will have will far surpass the crown of glory that even maybe the greatest preachers ever get. No one saw their big ministry. She didn't have a website. She didn't go around to, to conferences and do the ministry circuit. But she prayed for the church. Oh, that, that each one of us would, would have a prayer life like that for our friends, for our family, but specifically for the church that we are a part of the local body. And not just in a general way, but specifically praying for people's names. Prayer should not be the last line of ministry of the church, but the first. Prayer shouldn't be the thing that we do when, when everything else isn't working quite like we want. It should be the first thing we do in all of our ministries. It should be, what, what can I do in the life of this church? The first thing is, I can pray. And the temptation is to think, that's really not going to do anything. Oh, brothers and sisters, that does everything. Because God accomplishes His purposes when the saints pray. When they seek the Lord's face. When they ask Him to go before the ministry of the Word. I think it was Charles Spurgeon who had a, a prayer team who would gather downstairs pretty much right under the pulpit, I, I think it was. And, and all they would do during the service is pray for the ministry of the word. Now, I'm not going to ask you guys to, to dig out underneath the foundation so that we can have a prayer room under the pulpit. But, but we need prayer. We need to pray for one another. Two ways that you can do this. One, just Grab the prayer sheet every week. If you come to prayer meeting, that that would be awesome. But if you can't make it to prayer meeting, when you come in on a Sunday, just grab the prayer sheet. See what kind of things we're praying for. Stick it in your Bible and pull it out when you do your devotions every day. But even better, take the church directory and pray through the church directory. Maybe take three names a day. You can even write it out so that in, in groups of three, if you want, and check them off as you go and then go back around and do it again. But but pray specifically for the people that gather with us on Sunday mornings. Pray for missionaries, pray for other churches, pray for places where the gospel would spread, pray for churches like places in Tanzania where we know missionaries there, but we don't even know the church there. Just as Paul doesn't know the Romans, but the big takeaway, pray for our church. We want God to work. Do we ask Him? Do we ask Him? We're not going to have love. We're not going to have community and real Christian friendships if we are not a people that pray for each other by name. By name. That's the first thing each one of us can do to serve God in the church. The second thing this morning that we can each do, I can serve God by encouraging someone 
in the faith. So one of the reasons Paul wants to go to Rome is to impart to them a spiritual gift, to to have mutual encouragement that will go on. You know what it costs to encourage someone? Zero dollars. It's a wonderful gift. If you're if you're a penny pincher, if you look for cheap things, you know what it costs to encourage someone? You can splurge and buy a card for a couple bucks. But encouragement, you, you know how it is when you get encouraged, when someone says something nice to you. That means more to you sometimes than if someone would have given you a $25 gift card. Because it says, wow, they noticed me. Wow, they, they saw I was going through a bad time. Encouragement can be the lifeblood of a church energizing us. Paul wants to come to impart a spiritual gift to the church. Look at verses 11 and 12. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. What is this spiritual gift that Paul wants to impart? I think, That Paul, being an apostle, and and that really is his calling and his gifting, the spiritual gift that he wants to impart to them is the ministry of the gospel in their midst. He wants to bring this young church the gospel. Not that they aren't believers. They are believers. They've received the Lord Jesus Christ. But you can imagine being in this church far away from the other groups of churches that are much more central to Jerusalem. You can imagine the distance. You can imagine some of the struggles. You can also remember they don't have yet a copy of the New Testament. It hasn't been written. So if they have the Scriptures, they have the Old Testament. And they're preaching it, I'm sure, and they're teaching it. But Paul needs to bring them up to speed, so to speak. Make sure they understand the the ins and the outs of the gospel and what it means. You think of the problems that the early church had, like in the Galatian churches, thinking that salvation is by works of the law. Paul wants to make sure that this Roman church is, is inoculated. Just like he had to, just like a doctor might treat a disease, perhaps Paul wants to go there to make sure that that they get the vaccine so they don't come down with the disease. And he addresses some of those things in his letter. What would it what would it be like if if we were a let's just put it in our imagination here for a second. If we were a a very rural church, let's say we were we were a small town, I'm talking like a you know, a thousand people in our town and the next town is, is at least a, a 75 mile drive. And, and we were a small church and, and we didn't have a regular pastor. And we had a few people that maybe got up and taught and shared the word from here to there. But then you get a call and, and a couple people from another church say, hey, we'd like to, to come out and just minister with you a little bit. We want to encourage you. We want, to, we want to come and just share some things with you and just bring you the Word of God. And suddenly, someone willing, who's had some training and such, is willing uh, to come. How would you feel? Like, genuinely? Wow, somebody remembered us. Wow, we're not out here all by ourselves. Wow, we're going we're gonna to get a special speaker. How great is it that Paul is coming to share the Gospel with them? 
We need to think about the structure of Romans then, or the purpose of Romans with this in mind. You think about all of the rich doctrine that Paul imparts. And, and some of us are, are, are we, we love doctrine, we love teaching, we love getting into it and, and feeding on it. And this is awesome and this is amazing. And, and, and myself included, I'm kind of a, a nerd when it comes to this stuff. I could talk to you for three hours uh, about something in Romans. And my wife says I talk in circles and repeat myself, but I, I get into it. But we need to remember, why does Paul do this? He does it to build up the church. All of doctrine is to serve and nourish the church. See, the temptation is, and, and at least for me, maybe if, it's, if it's not for you, well, good for you. But the temptation is that, that we can get all intellectual with these things. We can, we can discuss them and debate them. And it is good to discuss them. And it is good to feed on God's Word. And it is good to study and talk about it. But it also needs to translate into building up the church. Why does God give us the Word of God? It's not so that we can just become smart intellectuals. It's so that we can be made alive so that we worship God and serve God and build one another up. Particularly those of us who love theology. Theology serves the church. I shouldn't love doctrine apart from loving the church and what God does in the church through the right teaching and proclamation of the doctrine. It's, it's never an either or. It, it's never, well, you have or, your doctrine or you love the church. And so the, the solution is not to swing out to the other side and say, well, I'll just love the church and I'm not going to worry about what the church teaches. That's not right either. But notice what Paul's goal is. I want to impart a spiritual gift. I want to lay out these truths. I want you to be rooted and grounded in the gospel. Why? So that we may be mutually encouraged. So often in ministry, when you and I minister to someone, it feeds and encourages us just as much as it feeds and encourages the person you're ministering to. Sometimes, as the person doing the ministry, you actually feel like you got more spiritual benefit and joy from that conversation or that ministry than they did. Maybe even the person feels like they got a lot, but you just end up, you're on cloud nine because you're like, wow. You know, you lead someone to the Lord, and that, that can be like a, a, a shot in the arm, a real boost, and you just go, wow, God is amazing. This God that I have faith in. I've just seen this new baby Christian born and, and it encourages me and it strengthens me. Or you help someone who's going through something very, very hard and they walk away and they say, thank you so much for encouraging me. And, and not in a selfish, prideful way. You just look back and you go, wow, God, God used that. Sometimes we see someone struggling and, 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 and you talk to them through their struggles and suddenly you find yourself applying what you're saying to them to something in your own life. 
And, and the same minute you're sharing the word of God with them, God is using it in your heart to encourage you, to build them up. There is this, in ministry and helping people and encouraging people, there is this, this mutual encouragement that goes on. It's very hard to encourage someone in the Lord and stay a grumpy Christian, right? I mean, I mean can you really be grumpy? It's, it's really hard to, to pray for people. And not grow in your own spiritual life. You, you actually have to work really hard, I think, if you're praying for people. Not to have compassion for them. To have tenderness for them. To, to have the Spirit of God work in you as you bring them before the Lord. Just as an aside, you know, if you're, you're angry with someone, one of the best things I think you can do is pray for them. Not praying down in precatory psalms or curses on them or something. But, but genuinely pray for their best. Pray for good things to happen for them because it's very, very hard to stay angry when you're reminding yourself they're a brother in Christ. And I want to see God work in their life and I want to see God do good things. So this ministry here is mutually encouraging. And Paul wants to get to Rome to reap a harvest for the gospel. Verse 13, but I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. First, this explains again in one of the, in one in some ways, this explains Paul's reasons for writing. He wants to come. He wants to to do ministry. This is sort of like like prepping the ground before he gets there. He's writing the church a letter. He wants them to know why he intends to come. He wants them to know, I've wanted to come for a long time. This maybe would keep people from being like, oh, who's this Paul think he is coming to our church? Well, now he shows up. He wants them to know, hey, I, I love you guys, and I've, I've been wanting to do this for a long time. You know how it is, and in, in, in maybe in your family, when, when someone... Uh, continues to miss Christmas or those holidays and they, they just send you a little note or say, oh, I'm so sorry, the kids got sick this time. And you're like, okay, well, you, you wanted to be there. I understand. And this is the same sort of thing with Paul. He wants to come. I've often been intended to, but I've thus far been prevented. Why does he want to come? In order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I take this here to be the first among you, as he wants to reap a harvest of the gospel inside the church. Now, this is a true church. These are, are genuine believers. How do you reap a harvest of the gospel in the church? In the midst of believers. Why would you come to a church... And share the gospel with the church. Doesn't the church have the gospel? Yes. A true church has the gospel. And Rome, at this point, is a true church. They've heard it. They believe in Jesus. But they need to grow in it. And the way that we grow in our faith, the way that we grow in the gospel, we, we don't just like move on to bigger and better things. Well, that gospel is just what we give the little kids when you first start out. No, you, you grow in the gospel. You understand it more. You, 
you continue to see Jesus as this amazing Savior. Bigger and better. More awesome, if I can say it that way. You, you grow in your marveling at who He is. When you first became saved, what did you understand about Jesus being your Savior? Probably just the basics. I'm a sinner. Sin separates me from God. It, it leaves me condemned to hell. Without Jesus, I will die and suffer eternally. Jesus died on the cross. Save me from my sin. If I believe in Him, I receive the forgiveness of sins. If you believe that, you're saved. That's the Gospel. But then as you begin to walk in your Christian life, you find out that, that you still are having struggles with sin. So what do you do? You return again to Jesus. You find out, as Paul says in Romans chapter 6, that we've been baptized into Christ Jesus. That we have died to sin so that we might live to a new life. He encourages them to be slaves to righteousness. We call this the process of sanctification. It's growing in your Christian faith, looking and living more like Jesus in how you behave and how you act. That is the fruit of the gospel. When you first get saved, probably no one said to you anything about the big words like sanctification. Justification by faith. How many of us heard that the moment we first got saved? Probably not very many, and that's okay. But as you begin to understand what Jesus Christ did on the cross... You begin to understand that putting your faith in Him, you receive a gift of righteousness. And so it's a legal term. You are justified. You stand before God as the judge, and God says you are forgiven and declares you righteous, not because you are righteous. No, you're a sinner, but Christ is righteous, and you've trusted in Him. And so you get righteousness as a gift. Did you understand all of that the moment you first got saved? No, you just trusted Christ. You were saved. You threw yourself at the mercy of Jesus. But each one of us needs to, and I trust has, grown in the gospel. The gospel continues to build fruit in the church and in our Christian lives. When we think about ministry in the life of this church, it needs to be gospel-centered. I realize that can be kind of a buzzword today, and, and sometimes people don't define it very well. But, but in a sense, everything that we do in the life of the church is centered on Jesus and His ministry. All of Scripture points to what Jesus has done. And so even when we, we teach people to obey God's Word, we don't teach them to obey God apart from the enlivening power that we have in Jesus. Jesus puts the Holy Spirit in us. And so we don't move on to new truths, but we do move deeper into the truths that we have. And Paul says, I want to come. And I want to share the gospel among you. I want to have a harvest in your church. But also with the Gentiles that are around the church. The rest of the neighborhood, if we can put it that way. The unsaved, the lost, 
those people that you are trying to reach, that I am trying to reach. Paul says, I want to come and be a missionary in your midst. That's one of the reasons he writes the book of Romans. He's preparing them as a place from which he can do ministry. As a church, are we a place from which ministry gets done? In the sense that we are being rooted and grounded in the gospel. And and as it's like a tree beginning to bear fruit, is it spreading outside the four walls? That you're not afraid to go and talk to someone. That we're inviting a friend, a neighbor. That you're taking the gospel to someone. Because you're the one that knows them and has contact with them. This is what Paul intends on doing. So, let me uh, first give a couple of things here. Seek to encourage others in the life of the church. First, what's my spiritual gift? And am I using it? What's, what's my spiritual gift? Each one of us has a unique gifting from the Lord. He puts the Holy Spirit in you. He brings a spiritual gift. Not everybody's a teacher. Not everybody's a pastor. Not everybody's a Sunday school teacher. But all of the gifts are important. More than that, everyone can encourage someone with the gospel. Some people have the gift of encouragement. They're just really good at it. But encouragement is also something that every believer can do. Even if it's not your main spiritual gift, it's something that that every believer can do. It's, It's like the spiritual gift of giving. Each one of us is called to give to the Lord of our time, of our talents, of our our finances. But some people really just have the gift of giving, that God gives them an abundance and they are just great. They have great wisdom in knowing how to give to others and, and direct what they have towards the needs. So it is with encouragement. All of us can build up the body. Colossians 3.16 Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, thankfulness in your heart, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Ways that you can be encouraging to people. You, you, know, you can just say to someone, hey, I'm, I'm praying for you. Shoot them a little text during the week. Hey, how's your week going? Just want you to know I've been thinking about you. I've been praying for you. Maybe you say something to them on a Sunday. Maybe if you know they're going through a hard time, you you specifically ask, is there anything that I can do to help you? I just want you to know that I'm here for you. Or you say to them, if you ever need anything, give me a call. I'll do what I can to help. Maybe you like to write notes. Some of us are really good at that. And you just jot them a little note or you write down... Maybe you don't even know what to say. And so you just, you know, you just put a, a, a nice, encouraging Bible verse uh, in there. Don't don't put anything, you know, like mean and nasty in there. Find a nice, encouraging Bible verse, not not something um, from Leviticus or or, uh, you know, one of the condemning Psalms for people. So don't be like Job's friends is what I'm saying. You know how they like, oh, you're a sinner, Job. But but encourage people, build them up, say say something nice to them. Uh, we used to say when we were working at camp, at Victory Valley Camp, for every uh, one mean or negative thing that you say, it takes seven positive things to remove that from their memory. And how, much, how easy is it in our daily lives to say something short with someone? 
to say something mean or, or negative or rude rather than to say something positive. Let me encourage you in this way. Some of us look around at our lives and we, we do ask the question, how can I serve God? And, and if you're kind of like me, you know, especially when I was younger, like I had all these dreams about big things that I was going to do for God. Like I'm, I'm going to write a commentary on Romans. Uh, that was, I think, actually one of my dreams at one point, you know, and I'm I'm going to have this. Wouldn't it be awesome if I was one of those guys that gets called around the country to, to be a, a speaker? That would be so cool to travel and and, and we, we can, you know, I want to maybe some of you, I want to be the missionary who takes the gospel into all of these dark places, whether it's physically or, or spiritually dark. You know, I want to be the adventurer. I want to be the guy on the, the cutting edge. And if God really gives you that vision and God really gives you that gifting, amen, and I, I don't want to stop you at all. But the first thing that each one of us can do is be faithful where God has put us. Uh, when I was young, I dreamed all of these big dreams, and I was always looking at, oh, what, what, what would it be like to do this or that? And, and I missed opportunities that were right in front of me. Little things that I could have done. Sometimes we can get so focused on, I want to do the big things for God when it's, He's called you right now. Just do something little first. Be an encourager. Give someone a ride to church. Instead of being the, the big fancy teacher, just take the little kid's Sunday school class. You're, you're never going to get famous by teaching little kids Sunday school. But you will impact little children's lives. I still remember some of my Sunday school teachers from when I was a kid and some of the things that they taught me. I remember winning the Bible drills too, but that's another story. But none of them were famous. None of them had big ministries. By, by human standards, none of them did amazing things for God. None of them published children's books. Oh, but they serve faithfully. We need a vision for serving God in the church it starts, in a sense, with the small things. If God raises us up to do big things, amen. But we need to focus on being faithful where he's put us. Faithful. Jesus even says, the one who is faithful with very little is also faithful with much. The one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. In the parable that he tells of the the servants who are given talents and gifts at the end when they're judged he says well done good servant because you have been faithful and very little you shall be you shall have authority over 10 cities god isn't impressed when we try to do big things for god god calls us to be faithful if god raises us up in unique ways that's that's on god praise god but what can i do now be faithful where he's put you. Who can I pray for? Look around the room. Who can I pray for? Who can I encourage? Something that we think is not really a big spiritual gift in the life of the church can be something that is vibrant, like fuel flowing through the human body. And then finally, 
Who can I evangelize for the gospel? Paul's goal is to get to Rome to share the gospel. That's where verse 14 and 15 ends. He's called to be the apostle to the Gentiles, to share the gospel with as many lost as he possibly can. And it's fascinating how he says, I have an obligation to do this, to to minister to Greeks and barbarians, to wise and uh, foolish. And then he says, I am eager to come to Rome. Just as one last thought, duty can be delight. I have an obligation to do this. Oh, but I'm eager to serve the Lord. We have an obligation to share the gospel, the Great Commission. But are we eager? God has given us the gospel. It builds up the church and it reaches the lost. Three things again. What can I do to serve the Lord? One, I can pray. Two, I can encourage. Three, I can share the gospel with somebody who's lost. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us from your word, that we would uh, delight ourselves in you, that you would continue, as you have already done, to work the gospel in this church, that we would love one another, that we would welcome friends and new faces and have a genuine Christ-like love for all. That is a work of you in the midst of the body. Let us be encouragers. Help us most of all to reach the lost with the gospel, to be willing to share, to be willing to to talk to people, to be willing to, to describe what Jesus has done and why he has done it and invite them to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We just pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Stand with us for this last song. i
Ever be 